Welcome, everyone. This is a Council of Institutional Investors Educational Podcast. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. On this episode, we will discuss an important new academic paper entitled Core Earnings, New Data and Evidence. Our special guest is one of the co-authors of that paper, Professor Charles Wang of the Harvard Business School. Welcome, Professor. Thanks for speaking with us. Thank you, Jeff. It's great to be here. Professor Wang, tell us about your new research findings on core earnings and why they're relevant to long-term institutional investors like CII members. Sure, Jeff. In our new paper, Ethan Ruan, Eric So, and I analyzed the value relevance of non-core or transitory earnings that companies disclose in their 10Ks. And these include the transitory earnings that show up on the face of the income statement, as well as those that are disclosed in the footnotes and in the MDNA. I should probably mention that our analysis is made possible by uh, what I consider to be a rather novel data set that's compiled by a research technology firm called New Constructs. What they do is use a combination of human analysts and machine learning to both identify and classify all of the income statement-related disclosures that appear in a 10K. So what do we find in this analysis? First, and perhaps least surprising, is the fact that gap net income is quite complicated. And it's complicated, Jeff, because it conflates two things. One, it includes those earnings that are core to the company. In other words, those revenues and expenses that are recurring because they're an integral component of the firm's operations. And two, those earnings that are non-core, non-operating, or less persistent, typically because they're not central to the company's operations. And therefore, if you're an investor who seeks to understand how well a company's central operations are doing, gap net income can be, in fact, quite misleading. And it would therefore be important to adjust out these non-operating earnings items. And what we find is that when we do clean up gap net income by comprehensively adjusting for all of the non-operating gains and losses that firms disclose in their 10Ks, we obtain a very useful measure of firms' core earnings. That is, we get a much better sense of how well a company's core operations have actually done. Now, how do we know that? Uh, we know that because this measure of core earnings we construct is much more persistent uh, than gap net income. And this is precisely what we would expect uh, if we were capturing the more persistent part of a company's performance. But more importantly, this measure of core earnings helps us predict firms' future performance, including their future net income, future cash flow from operations, and future street earnings. Now, you might be wondering, Jeff, well, aren't there already some versions of operating earnings that people use out there that's at least in principle trying to do the same thing? And you would be absolutely right. Uh, what we find in our study is that our measure of core earnings is in fact substantially different from some of the common alternatives that practitioners or academics have been using for a long time, in particular measures like firm street earnings. And they're different because street earnings, it turns out, typically contains only a subset of the adjustments that we make to derive our measure of core earnings. And what's more, what we find is that the selectivity of the adjustments made in street earnings appear to be in part a result of managerial bias. Our evidence shows that managers appear to be defining non-GAAP earnings in ways to help them meet or beat consensus. 
And so for these reasons, it's not surprising that our core earnings measure is more comprehensive and contains incremental information about firms' future performance. In the last part of an, our analysis, we show that market participants don't appear to be fully appreciating the importance of these transitory earnings disclosures. We find that analysts are slowly adjusting to this information over time, and that you can in fact construct profitable trading strategies by exploiting differences in firms' transitory earnings, meaning that market participants are slow to appreciate the importance uh, of these transitory earnings disclosures. So just to conclude, overall, Jeff, these findings, I believe, are important to investors because they suggest that in order to understand how well a firm is likely to do in the long run, you really need to be quite careful in examining the right measure of performance. And doing careful diligence can give you an investment edge. So, Professor Wang, based on your research, what's the single most important adjustment a financial analyst or an investor should make to gap earnings to better understand a company's operating performance? No, in terms of the magnitude of the adjustments, the single most consequential adjustment type we see in the data is restructuring charges. But... In fact, one of the main insights from our analysis, and it was a little bit of a surprise to me, is that there are actually quite a lot of these non-operating gains and losses that show up in a given 10K. And in fact, these disclosures are growing over time as companies become more complicated and as the, uh, they increase the transparency of their disclosures. So today, for example, we would find on average about eight of these non-core earnings items disclosed somewhere in the 10K. More importantly, our analysis suggests that, yes, of course, it's important to adjust for restructuring charges, in particular, given their magnitudes, but it's not quite enough to adjust for just one type of earnings, but one should, in fact, take into account all of the non-core earnings to really get a clear picture uh, of how well the core operations have done. And Professor, what's the most common adjustment that company managers make to gap earnings that investors should ignore or otherwise back out when analyzing a company? That's a really great question, Jeff. Our paper doesn't really speak to this, but I certainly have a view on this. Managers often would report non-gap earnings that would add back stock compensation expense, and typically based on the rationale that this is a non-cash transaction and therefore less relevant to the company's operations. I believe this is an incorrect view because while there's no explicit cash flow that's involved in giving equity away to employees, there are actually indirect or implicit cash flows in this transaction. So one way to think about that is that issuing stocks to compensate employees is really economically equivalent to issuing shares for cash and then giving that cash to the employee. Therefore, to the extent that stocks are a standard and recurring way that firms choose to compensate their employees, their real operating expense that should be included in a metric of core earnings. Professor, do you have any view on CII's April petition to the Securities and Exchange Commission to require that non-GAAP financial measures presented in the compensation discussion analysis section 
of company proxy statements be subject to SEC reconciliation requirements that apply to all other non-GAAP disclosures? I think that this is a very sensible suggestion. And, you know, in general, I believe that providing greater transparency about how managers are paid will not only help investors better understand what their actual incentives are, but also, and consequently, help us better govern and, and design these incentives. Final question. Professor, as you are aware, the Securities Exchange Commission has a long-standing project to reform the disclosures of U.S. public companies. Uh, that project often raises issues about whether disclosures should be included in the financial statement line items, in footnotes, or in the company's management discussion and analysis. Does your research provide any insights on the location of disclosures that would be most useful to investors? I think what we can say, Jeff, at this point is that altogether, these quantitative disclosures, whether they appear on the face of the income statement, in the footnotes, or in the MDNA, are altogether quite important and value-relevant. Focusing on just a subset isn't quite enough. The challenge here to me is that the lack of standardization in these disclosures really substantially increases the level of difficulty from investors to process all of this useful information. And analysts must sift through the 200 200 plus pages of a 10K, read through the MDMA and all of the footnotes. Because businesses can be economically quite different, I'm skeptical as to whether we can completely standardize these disclosures. And so this is why I think that having machines that can help us automate the collection and the classification of these quantitative disclosures could be a real game changer for investors going forward. That concludes our podcast episode. On behalf of the Council of Institutional Investors, I want to thank our special guest, Professor Charles Wang of the Harvard Business School. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please feel free to contact me at Jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.